Welcome back, choir. It was wonderful this morning. Yes. Would you turn your Bibles this morning to the Old Testament book of Ruth? We're going to be in a series on Ruth. It's eight books into your Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. When I think about this book of Ruth... It's one of the great pieces of literature throughout the ages. But when you read it, it reads like a screenplay of a chick flick. (laughs) Now, I like chick flicks, some of them. But 52% of the words in the book of Ruth is dialogue between one woman and another. And it's different than what we've been going through, transitions of battles and crossing the Jordan River at flood stage. There's no explosions. There's no battles. There's no fancy sports cars turning into a robot that conquers the world. But it's a great piece of literature that we can learn about God and his redeeming work in our lives. I want you to put on your imagination hat right now and and think with me and imagine with me and picture with me just the beginning. I think you've seen it before. It's those vertical waves of heat coming off of a scorching hot road. In the distance, you see down that road three shadowy figures on this hot, dusty path. And as they get closer to you, it becomes clear to you now, these are three thirsty, dirty, dusty women. In their arms are filled with their worldly possessions, and, and really no words need to be spoken as you, as you see them, as you are in the presence of them. You could feel it, you could see it, you can even smell it. In them just screams brokenness. And so you look deep into the desperate eyes of the older one. And you could see the regret in her eyes as she's flashing back in her memory of the last ten years. Ten years ago, though, there was great hope. She was packing up her two young boys and loading up her house into this wagon because her husband made this courageous decision to make a move because they were hoping for a better life. They were chasing a dream in a foreign land. And, you know, for her it was a little bit dangerous a little bit mysterious, a little bit forbidden, but really exciting. Seeing her sons grow from little guys to young, young adult men, they began courting and then marrying beautiful women outside of the family's beliefs and culture, but just wonderful girls. And she remembers as she's 
taking a break from her journey, and, and, and she's remembering in her mind scenes of just joyous, albeit slightly uncomfortable and awkward family dinners, learning about the different cultures of the girls and celebrating different religious holidays. And then suddenly the flashbacks turn tragic because she remembers the five of them standing beside a grave saying goodbye to husband and father. And then soon after, four of them standing around a grave saying goodbye to son and husband and brother. And then just three of them. They were at the graveyard again. And, you know, in that day, if you were a, a woman who was single, who was widowed, who was, who was divorced, there was just not much you can do with your life. You, you, you just couldn't go out and get a job and, and, and make ends meet. But you had to rely on the kindness of strangers for your shelter and your food. And so we're back now at this hot, dusty road. And we understand a lot clearer just the first chapter of the book of Ruth. We are in a series of two books in the Bible, really. They're dramatic stories of God's work. The Old Testament book of Ruth and the Old Testament book of Esther. And the book of Ruth is this epic saga of God's redemption. It's about how God works in your most desperate times. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So important that we set the scene for this epic saga right in the beginning. And so as you look at Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, just the, 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 the first few words you'll, you'll read, in the days when the judges ruled. Now that really means a lot, and it's important that we stop there and we ask ourselves, what does that mean? You go to Judges chapter 17 and Judges chapter 21, and you read this. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So that was the scene. That was the times of, of, of as, as we read this book of Ruth. There was no strong, godly leadership. They had no God. They, well, they had God. And they had the temple and they had sacrifices. But they did whatever they wanted to do. What they saw was right in their own eyes is what they did. And I, and I think we could say, just to bring it back to us today, September 21, 2014, we can say that that's where we're at here as a post-Christian nation in America. People say, I'm still a Christian, and I, I go to church every once in a while. 
And when that offering plate comes by, we'll, we'll put some money in there. But I'll do whatever my gut tells me to do. I'll do whatever is logical. I'll do whatever is proper. I'll do whatever is right in my own eyes. This is where we're at today. This is where they were at back then. And setting the scene, it's the time when the judges ruled, but it's also, we need to understand, they were in Bethlehem. That's where they, where they started off. And the town of Bethlehem is translated the house of bread. Now that's really ironic when you read this first few verses. It's a town known for their agriculture and their grain. And the irony of all of this is that there is a famine in the house of bread. There is hunger in the house of bread. And and where the children of God should be enjoying the promises of God, there's just emptiness. And what we see here is a godly husband, a, a godly father, who looks 50 miles down the road and he says, you know, I, I think we can make it there. He looks down the road and he says, I, I think my family's got a better chance there. Job opportunities over there. We'll get a better house over there. I can provide better for my family there. And you know what? We'll only be there for just a little while. It's going to be okay. Well, let's talk about where there was. There is Moab, the first few verses tell us. And if you want to know about Moab, you could look at Genesis chapter 19. We're not going to read there, but write that in your notes, and you could read that this week so to get a better idea of, of really what's going on. It's about the beginnings of Moab, and you probably know this story. It, it begins with this man named Lot who had to run from the city of wickedness, Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was known for rape on every doorstep and deviant behavior and abuse to the point where God says, I'm done with you. And so Lot's family runs from the mess and they find a cave to live in. And the oldest daughter hatches a plan in her mind. And she says, At dinner tonight, I'm going to get dad sloppy and stupid drunk. Then I'm going to have sex with him so that I can get pregnant. And so they do. And she does. And she has a son, and she names him Moab. And everyone in Israel knows where the Moabites come from. They are people who got their start from a drunken, incestuous relationship, and they worship idols. But not only that, they're at constant war with the children of God. So much so in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 3, we read, No Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the tenth generation. So you stop and you think about this. And I see families worshiping together here. And sons and daughters-in-law and grandkids running around. Can you imagine? Elimelech and Naomi having sons who marry Moabite women and their hopes of let's go celebrate at a Christmas Eve candlelight service. Oh, that's right. 
they can't join us in the temple. Well, the name Elimelech gives us some idea of what's going on here, too, as we set the scene. Then the, the name Elimelech means, my God is king. My God is king. And there's, a, there's a, another irony with all of this, because I, I wonder what Elimelech was thinking in this short journey that was a million miles away, spiritually and culturally. Because I, I think, you want to say to Elimelech, didn't you know that your boys were going to go to Moabite schools? Didn't you know that your boys would have Moabite friends and they'd play in Moabite Little League? Didn't you know that they'd listen to Moabite music and, and date Moabite girls and eventually mar- marry Moabite women? Your name is My God is King. And so the irony here is, it, it's so easy to say My God is King, isn't it? We sing My God is King, but are you living My God is King? And, and the irony here is, he says, my name is my God is king, but for me and my family, I'll follow whatever I think is right in my own eyes. And look at the disaster that we find here. To set the scene again, just to give you an idea, Naomi, her name means pleasant and lovely. And in Bethlehem, she was, in that town, she was the cutie. She was sweetheart, is really what her name means. The first five verses just lay out the scene, but the real key here, I think, when you read the first five verses, is the word obedience. Let's carry on to verse 6. It says, When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. And so the word gets to Naomi that the famine is over in Bethlehem and the house of of, of bread is is serving up again. And so they take this 50-mile trek back to Bethlehem. But then in the middle of that journey, it it just hits Naomi. It's just like a ton of bricks just hits her mind. Why are you coming back with me, she says to her daughters-in-law. You are Moabite women. You're not bound by the same laws as the children of God. See, the children of God, if, if your husband died, it was, a, it was a different situation. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, we, we read about this. It says, If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. And so this is what uh, Naomi is referring to when she's speaking to her two daughters-in-law. But as Moabite women in Israel, they're not only widows, they're outcasts. And so Naomi says in verse 11, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I'm going to have, am, am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? 
Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you want to wait till they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. You know, I, I love Naomi's theology. You know, God exists, even though I'm, there's such a mess in my life. God exists. God's in control. I just, I love her theology. I just don't support her perspective. God exists. God's in control. He just has it out for me. He hates me. So why do we go through brokenness anyways? in shattered dreams and in dead ends in our life. What, what's the reason? I mean, you have to ask yourself, it, what happened here? I mean, we, we, we kind of get a clue here, but what happens in our life? What happens when we go through a shattered dream or brokenness or a dead end? Well, I, I think there's four reasons. When we go through brokenness in our life, the first reason could be, it's my bad. It's my fault. I'm the one that messed up. Because you wanted to follow your own path. And, you know, it's a frustration, I think, if you're a new Christian because stuff is still happening in your life and you're thinking, wait a minute, I'm following God. How come it's not all better? Well, there's two reasons. Natural, I'm sorry, there's an answer to that. Two words, natural consequences. Because that's what happens. The difference in when you mess up and you follow, start to follow God, the difference is that in the midst of your painful consequence, God says, I'm there for you. I'm, I'll be there for you. I'm with you all the way. So why does brokenness and, and dead ends happen in our life? Shattered dreams? The first is, it's my bad. The second is this, someone else messed up. That's the reason why we go through broken times in our life, because someone else messed up. Many of our lives are painful because someone in your life, someone else in your life, messed up. You have or you had an Elimelech in your life, right? And the interesting part about sin is that the effects of sin happen to everyone around you. And so when you sin, it's not just you. It affects people, and most of the time, people that you love. Why does all this happen? Well, it's my bad. The second reason is someone else messed up. The third reason is God's preparing for a miracle. That's why brokenness, that's why shattered dreams happen in your life, because God's preparing for a miracle. I I read this chapter, and I kind of want to scream out to Naomi, remember your history, Naomi. Remember your people when they were enslaved in Egypt and God broke them out. Remember when you were running from Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea was there and you thought it was all over, but God parted the Red Sea and, you, and your people ran through it. And then the, the enemy went through it and then the Red Sea collapsed. And remember all of that, Naomi, because when you're in a broken time, maybe God's preparing for a miracle. And the fourth reason why we go through hard times in our life is... I don't have a better answer. It's just life. Sometimes you try your best, and you're just doing your best, and you think you're following God, and stuff still happens in life. But the good news is God has not left you. Let's return back. Verse 14. 
At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me or leave, to leave you or to turn back from you. And many of you had this scripture read at your weddings. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And so the two women now went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women of that town exclaimed, can this be sweetheart? Can this be pleasant and lovely? Can this be Naomi? The people of that little town of Bethlehem remembered Naomi, the lovely and pleasant one. Oh, but the years have taken their toll on you, sweetheart. We remember when you left with a strong husband and two healthy boys. And now you come back bitter and haggard with a Moabite girl. Can this really be our sweetheart, Naomi? Verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. And in your notes, just write the word bitter. That's what Mara means. Call me bitter because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me, and the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem. Now, I, I hope a light bulb is turning on in your head right now as we read these words. Bethlehem, Bethlehem. Isn't that the place where the hope of the world was born? Bethlehem. Ten years ago when Naomi left, there was a famine in the land. And now there's a sign of hope because the last words of chapter 1 says this, just as the barley harvest was beginning. Just like a good chick flick, right? <laughs> Let's just close with this, these two steps here. If you're you understand Naomi maybe today. You're, you are, you could just say, call me Mara. Maybe that's you today. You're experiencing brokenness and heartache and it's, it's sad in your life. I encourage you, find your way back home. I'm glad you're here today. This is a good start. To find your way back home, number one is this first thing you have to do, you have to commit to this, is follow God, not your gut. If you want to find your way back home, pursue obedience more than whatever you think is right, whatever is right in your own eyes, whatever your, sometimes our guts don't tell us the right way to go. Pursue obedience more than your success. And sometimes in the pursuit of comfort and success and riches and prosperity, it, 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 it does not equal following God 
It doesn't make sense sometimes following God. And so follow God. Don't follow your gut. Don't follow what, whatever's logical. Follow God. That's step one. Step two is this. Restart your journey with faith and honesty. You need to restart everything with faith and honesty. If you want to hit the restart button on your life, you need to start with faith and honesty. Ruth turns to Naomi. I, I, I love this because Ruth turns to Naomi and says, I've seen your faithfulness. I've seen your character. You have been open and you have been honest with us. And so where you go, I will go. And your people are going to be my people. And your God, Naomi, leaves her Moabite idols behind. She says, I want to be in your community. Where your, your people are my people. Your God will be my God. She says, I'm all in. I, I'm leaving that behind. And I love the honesty of Naomi to the people of Bethlehem. It, you know, our, our small groups are starting this week, right? And if you've never been to a small group, this is how they'll, they'll begin, especially in the first, first meeting. Everyone arrives, and there's pleasantries exchanged, smiles and hugs and handshakes, and my name is, and, and all that. And we sit down, and we say, so how, how are you? How's it going? How was your week? That's how small groups usually begin, something like that. Can you imagine if, if everyone came and sit down and say, how, how was your week? And someone comes in and says, just call me bitter. My life sucks. I, I love the honesty of, of Naomi. I, I love that Naomi's faith in God, and, her, and she's so honest with her place in life. God is God. He's almighty still. But you know what? My life sucks. And you could see it on my face. You can smell it on my skin. You can see how the years have taken their toll. And this begins the epic saga of God's redemption in the book of Ruth. Let's all stand. I'm going to close in prayer, and, and then we're going to meet out in the plaza. And, and uh, hey, it's okay if you go up to someone on the plaza and you're honest with them. You know what? That's what... That's what we got to be about. Allow someone to be honest with you. Today, in your small group this week, allow someone to be able to say, call me bitter. Let's pray together. God, we, we come before you, and, and I'm once again amazed at this beautiful book of the Bible, your word, this excellent piece of literature this emotional piece and father i ask that that you would do your work in our midst whether your life is just going great or whether your life is just terrible right now god would you minister to us by your word would you would you comfort us by your spirit and by the people of nova community church May you fill small groups and meetings and lunches and dinners and, and, um, and families discussing about life and following God and disappointments and brokenness and shattered dreams and the hope that we have in the house of bread, the Savior that was born there. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.